0: Hello, this is Matt Hale with Art Monthly's talk programme on Resonance Radio. Today I am joined by Maxa Zoller and Colin Perry. Maxa is a film curator and lecturer on moving image art. And Colin Perry is a writer and critic. Maxa has reviewed the book Art and the Moving Image, a critical reader for us. And Colin has written a feature on the material pleasure of film. Now, basically, both their pieces are dealing with the history of film or in the art world, um, in the visual art world, they're quite complicated, the, the history is, and I'm no expert on this myself, so I'm hoping to learn today a bit, and the first part which stood out of both their pieces was this thing called structural structuralist film, or and um, I'd like really to maybe begin with that, and I'll ask, ask Colin just perhaps to begin by Filling in what that is really, because it has a quite a strong influence, from my understanding of your feature, on film and video making now. Um, can you can you start with a little bit of explanation about what that even means
1: of the history of structuralist? Well, films.
0: yeah, or even what the term is, why why the term is
1: that? Why is it called that? Well, I think the term started with um, this writer P. Adam Sydney. Um, but Max would know a lot more about this. Well, that's fine. Well, I'm sorry, obviously, Um, do butt in whenever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's um, a, I guess you might call it a movement of film um, that's not necessarily to do with artists. It was slightly separate as um, to do with filmmakers who are independent um, in the 60s and 70s. Um, and maybe Max, could add. Uh,
2: yes, of course, sure. Um, P. Adam Sidney was American, so the article was written in Film Culture in 1969, am I right? I
1: think so. Uh, yes. <laughs> um,
2: and uh, Sydney came from the New York independent filmmaker scene. And in the article, he wrote about uh, a kind of uh, characteristics that he thought he'd observed in recent filmmaking, independent filmmaking, such as an interest in focus, an right. interest in the still camera, an interest in re-looping and reprinting the film. So quite abstract, if you like, modernist aspects the f- of the filmmaking. Of yes, of the of filmmaking very much. as much yes. as
0: the content in the film. He was what was, th- what was the essay you were referring film. to again? Sorry, what?
2: It was called uh,
0: Structural Film. Structural Film, okay.
2: In the Film Culture magazine, gotcha. 1969. Yeah um and he quotes Hollis Frampton and Paul Sharits and Michael Snow as examples of structural filmmakers yeah. who are concerned with the structure of film but the interesting bit is that while structural has become a label that yeah. can be applied to what we would call late modernist film uh the article itself is actually very precarious it's very open very wide it it, it Sidney does not really give us a rigid definition of structural film. He leaves it quite open, and he ends the article by saying, now that I coined the term, this movement will be on its way, it will simply disintegrate, because once you name something, it's already the height of it, and then it will just die. So that's the interesting uh, aspect, I think, the way in which something that was... Very, uh, A very soft, very flexible term became this quite rigid a yeah, definition. Y- so it,
0: became, it was almost abused in terms of his definition. It got tighter in a way yes. when, it, when it was applied. Yes. Uh, or is it applied now, perhaps, by people looking looking back?
2: Yes, because it's easy, isn't it? You look at historical filmmaking and you're trying to define it. You're trying to explain it to your friends to cinephiles, to artists, I try and teach it to my students, and then it's easy to just call it structural film. Um, yeah. It does it
0: actually conjure up a, an image in itself, the word anyway, doesn't it? I it mean, does,
2: it, and that It sounds wrong. quite rigid
0: and tight and, mm-hmm. and not about subjectivity, for instance. Yes, you know, and it's it sounds I don't know what you I
2: feel f- about this, Colin, but hmm. I think we too, we're too hasty, we're too quick, it's too easy to just call something a label and then it's dealt with.
1: I don't well, know, yes, you? I think... Um, I think there was a lot of criticism, even, th- even at the time, especially within um, Peter Kiddell's writing and stuff, of um, the depoliticized notion that was coming out of um, Sydney's article. And there was a broad spectrum of practices using p- quite structuralist techniques with different intents. And a lot of manifestos or, or manifesto-style um, writings uh, emerged which which really tried to pin things down and made things a little too rigid, I think. Um, one of the examples of that would be Peter Gadel's own um, structural materialist film, which is a sort of clunky title he gave to his own practice and a few of um, his peers within the London Filmmakers Co-op and it it ends up being quite deterministic it's something that you it's it's pre-digested it's pre-thought about and you go and you you see the film and there Goodell's theory is telling you what to think about it Um, what his theory says is something else because his writing is extremely opaque yes so yeah it's uh it's a strange would the
0: filmmakers have been making their work with his theory in their head you know prior to making as well i mean did it work not just when you went to see it were you applying the theory but you were, the artists were actually
1: influenced by it well from my understanding these things were shown in um small screenings um several of the artists like uh Malcolm Greece were quite opposed to showing in public art galleries, from what I understand. So I expect the scene is fairly small and people would have pre digested this. Yeah, literature like it say. I don't know if that's true. Yes,
2: or so I think it's a historical development. I, as a rule of thumb, theory always develops out of practice. Yeah,
0: but I was wondering if it went back. And you know the after second generation yeah. maybe
2: works in a different way. The that's first generation would experiment, and then, ah, you know, look, we have these aspects. Uh, we have these are common aspects in our practices. Maybe we can write about it, then you write the theory, and then the second generation is inspired by the theory and that 's when it becomes problematic that 's when yeah. it becomes a fossil
1: yeah.
2: uh, to rigid um, I guess it 's difficult for the listener to follow us if they haven 't seen the films, but no, maybe be we quite it would be quite interesting to actually describe an yeah. example i mean
0: yeah. I, I remember seeing one when I was at Chelsea School of Art years ago. I think it was what I would have thought was. A structure film, but I could be wrong, and I can't even name the artist. But it was basically a camera going up wires over a river, and it just panned the bed of the river. Yes, went, Chris Wells. And just went piece. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well done, thank you. It just mm. went up the river. Well, is yes. that because I mean, basically it <laughs> struck the structure? I just kept thinking, well, it's a structure film because he's created a structure. He's put the camera on it, and it's stru- it's moving up the structure. But that's completely naive student
1: thought, but is it? I don't know. It yeah, is that's mean,
2: a good question. It is and yeah. it's
1: not. Yeah, I think it is a good question mm-hmm. because so much stuff comes under that. There are these techniques that people were using. and um, But the people that are listed as, as being part of the structuralist movement are relatively small compared to that. Yes. Right. So it's more like you have this broad set of ideas and broad set of practices that people are tying in.
2: Yeah, mm. Chris Wellsby, for example, would use the elements like wind and light to direct his films. He would have the wind direct the camera, or a tree or
0: influence the movement. Yes, say. yes,
2: the, or the shutter speed, or would oh. hang a camera on a branch of a tree. Yeah, yeah, and then have the tree say film the yes, landscape. Yes, which is a lovely
0: idea. Which is, I mean, I think it's quite a poetic idea, I and mean, it certainly goes against an idea of rigid theory, doesn't it? I mean, it's painful.
2: Or let's think of Malcolm Le Grice's Berlin Horse, which is a single or a double projection of found footage of an old 1920s found footage of a horse running on a loop. It's reprinted in the most beautiful lush colours. And it's accompanied by a looped soundtrack by Brian Eno. And you could say, fine, the structure here is the loop, but the film certainly is not theoretical. It's extremely physical because of the kind of presence of the colors. And it's very much about music and a cyclical element.
1: Yeah. I think that's an important thing as well. L- you read the theory and it's very austere um, questions of, form and the content and the politicization of the spectator and yeah. these various things and you see some of them and they're beautiful. You just think, well, those people Like, well, yes, l- like yes. these things beautiful and it's yeah, um, yeah. you know, even Malcolm Le Gris's, uh horror story, is that what horror it's film. H- Horror film. Horror film. Mm. It's, you know, just these lush colors washing it, you know.
2: Oh, let's think of Line Describing a Cone by yes, Anthony yeah. McCall which is a magical, interactive performative installation, if you like, whereby you can play with the cone of the lights of the cinematic of the projector, which is visualized through fake uh, haze. The artists use artificial haze in the room to uh, turn the light beam into a sculpture, if you like. And in the 70s, it was talked about in relation to... uh, as an opposition to Hollywood narrative because this film would be not referential. It would be here and now, and you can experience experience. it right here. You're not referred to an illusion of a narrative. Mm. Whereas now we talk about it in terms of drama, in terms of the illusion of the three-dimensionality of the cone. So these works have different lives. and Different interpretations
1: over time. And the best ones survive. The best ones
2: survive. It's like
1: the start of this book by hal foster where he's describing um, a sculpture by i think it's robert morris a minimalist sculpture and there's all these deep theories going on and then somebody's tile just starts to climb all over it like it's a climbing <laughs> frame and they go well that's what it's about really you yeah know, and and i think it was two years ago that um these films the line describing the cone was shown at the serpentine and the kids were running around, yeah. and you and know was it was, <laughs> and everybody was, you know, because because you have this cone of light that's literally one side is dark and the other side is dark, and it's just a narrow, like laser-like beam of light, broad beam of light, and you can stick your hand through it, yes. and it's kind of like, yeah, it's it's this odd sort of sounds like a very physical you can experience. Walk through.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah. Okay. Well, Let's just try and uh, trying to not lose the the writing yes. in the magazine, uh, we, which is a lovely conversation I think. <laughs> but, but, we, but, but in <laughs> terms of your back, opinions, <laughs> and because uh, what really I suppose is interesting is is we've got art being made now, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be moving image art or performance and moving image art, and the how how do you think this either misunderstanding of the, what we've just been describing has affected what's being made now or or or, or not affected it? or is it are we, uh, is there sort of a breakaway from a misunderstanding i mean how, it's all rather complicated the influences and readings of this past yeah. stuff but can we talk about just talk about some contemporary work and how it relates in some way Max,
2: yeah, you would like me to start. We'll try. Yeah, 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 go. Sorry, Um, it's a big question. I'll try. Yeah, it's not really a question. I'll be honest with you. Um, (laughs) Obviously, structural film is a historical term, but it's influenced the contemporary generation of artists not only because structural filmmakers are teaching them, but also because it's a very powerful, uh, charged movement from the 70s. Um, I would say today the The best legacy of structural film is when artists use the formal rigor but apply this to contemporary condition of subjectivity, of politics, of effect. So for example, um, I really like the work of Karen Merzer and Brad Butler, who are currently working on a film installation called Mirror Film. uh, This is a uh, work in progress title. they uh have a very they work with a very rigid structure in which they travel the world and they give passers by a mirror. And the mirror is then held in front of the camera so that what you see in the film is whatever is behind the camera if you like, or sometimes the camera yes. person itself. Yes. It's based on Robert Morris' mirror film from nineteen sixty six. So it's a very modernist device, the mirror, yeah. the frame. Yeah. But it's recontextualized within a global context. Uh, They've been travelling in India, Pakistan, New York and London and it's an ongoing project. Um, And the whole work will be stored in a suitcase and given to the curator. The curator can choose how many films he will unfold in space, how big the installation will be. They are actually films. They're actually projections. Yeah, yes. eight millimeters, sixteen, and DVD. Okay. So that for me is an interesting marriage of um, a, a structural legacy, or say a modernist legacy, but something that has a, a, a contemporary urgency, if you like.
0: Okay. Now, now, Colin, in your article, in your feature, that you there's. The line says, the filmic medium has an archaic death grip on artist practices. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> just just to get you on the spot, <laughs> Max's description, <laughs> how does it relate to what you said there?
1: <laughs> was like overly rhetorical. <laughs> <there>. <laughs> I don't know, Can you tell me. A bit of purple prose in there.
0: <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, it's quite strong. Uh, <laughs> Can you, do you want to just follow follow on from what you were? I mean, say what you were saying a bit more after that.
1: Well, I think we want to move on to subjectivity and stuff. But before I do that, it's um, it, it's it's interesting to trace how. I think your question before is, is what is the legacy of structuralist film now, and I think it's it's emerging more and more and more into in the last fifteen years, I guess into. The white cube of the gallery, and um, it's more and more being historicized into into that context, um, and it's being absorbed, I think, um, and lots of its strategies are being absorbed. Right. But sometimes those strategies are not used in a critical way. So you have the sense that what was once critical has now just become quite formalistic. Yeah. Um, y- you know, even if it's kind of For instance, there's Jennifer West did these sort of quite beautiful hybrid things of skaters going, skating across Mm -hmm. films that were then projected. And, you know, they're they're quite beautiful, but it just feels Mm -hmm. lacking in something. And uh, uh, the Venice Biennale this year, there was another sort of quite beautiful film by Simon Starling that was um, a film on 35mm film that was running through this kind of metal structure. And the film that's been displayed was the making of the metal structure itself. I can't remember the name of the So it's self-referential. So it's very self-referential, but you think, well, what is... Where is the... Why self-referential? What is beyond that? And there's nothing. It's just... It's very... Self-imposed. Yeah, so it's model. like them li- missing a third yeah. element, basically. I, I do find that fairly frustrating. But the, the
0: idea is that that wouldn't have been missing in the 70s <laughs> in the previous works. Well, the that context that? was
1: different, I think, there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because this is where it does get complicated, yeah, isn't it? Because I mean, like, things have moved on.
0: I, I know you're f- what, the feeling you're, you've are you got about those works you've described, yeah. I kind of understand. But at the same time, to be fair to the artist, it's like, well, what the context is so different. Mm. Does that mean that they can't be expected to, to have this? Uh, I mean, I don't know, where is it? I mean politics it is the word that's not being said um, in a way, isn't it?
2: Um I think uh you're right, but what I was trying to do with my example was that politics actually can come in and do come in yes. within the framework of uh conceptual modernist w- what yeah. form. Um and I think uh, we've been talking about subjectivity before, I think ever since nine eleven, ever since the invasion of Iraq there has to be a return to affect and subjectivity. In c- response. In response by, to by what's going on globally, things, yes. There's an
0: outlet yes. o- ab- about those things which might be subjectively yes. coming out. The the we work. don't
2: have the luxury anymore to hide in the white cube. We have to go out there and externalise our subjectivity, okay. um, whether we're scared on it or of it or not. Which it can be. There <laughs> has to be, yes. that's Because
0: um, yeah, the pr- there is a kind of... Safety in process, in a sense. There's a
2: safety in the discourse, an institutionalized, yeah. prefabricated discourse, okay. which structural film might be part of. Artists hide on, and intellectuals and curators like me also. I also hide in it, <laughs> but occasionally I try and burst out and create something um, uh, that I think is dangerous for me because it's unknown waters. Yes. yes. Um, but I think that's uh, very important, this kind of. Return to the body, if you like. Return to subjectivity, to politics, in a, in a subtle way. You know, in a personal way. The personal is political. I think that's still very valid today. Okay. Did you,
0: Colin? Did that? You were you were t- starting to talk about the structuralist. You know, my question was about the effects of structuralism. And you were, did you? W- I mean, in your piece, you you give quite a few examples of things that you do like. Or I mean, there was a piece at the Laura Bartlett Gallery. You talk about um, where the film is. Is, is looping through. Yeah, machines and um, it, uh, Elizabeth uh, Milkalpine. Yeah, so, I mean, is there. that, um, is that, I find is that that's still problematic? So, that's you know, similar it's to it's the two examples you gave yeah, before. So, yeah. So, g- it's
1: g- so there are various other examples I give in this piece. Um, so, initially, just just as as a film itself rather than as kind of an installation or anything, yep. Manon de Boer's work is they tend to be portraits of of people Um, and there's a lot of, especially female artists who are making essentially quite portrait like films which explore subjectivity in a very interesting way I think Um, and they use the lushness of film and the simplicity of the structural heritage to just bring out that kind of um, understanding of other people, not the work itself, but other people. Um, how, for instance, in uh, Rosalind Nashchybe and Lucy Sky's work, whose name I can't remember, about the workers on the Italian cargo ship yeah. that was shown at and Hale Gallery last year, I think. Um, but these are examples of vi- vi- uh, good. You know, yeah. I, I think they're really interesting explorations of subjectivity of of how identity is composed because the film is a very structured, made thing and it's showing that identity is a structured, made thing that's dependent on an environment. And that I find quite interesting. Yeah, okay. Can I just add
2: something quickly here? Um, Of course, there's also contemporary artists who deliberately go against any modernist frames, any traditional structure, like, for example, the 50 millimeter. Collective, which I also review in this uh, magazine, which is a group of disabled artists who had a show at Bickensfield a couple of months ago and they did a series of trailers called The Way Out and these trailers were film trailers about a revolution that never happened which is the Disabled Revolution in the 1970s and it's based very much on a kind of if you like uh, amateur filmmaking, trash culture, 70s Bond mu- movies, uh, the style, uh, outra- of the film. yeah, the yeah. style, star- outrageous costumes, um, really surreal, um, w- crazy scenarios that are present that they present the viewer with, which deliberately go against a lushness yes. against the frame yeah. against self-referentiality uh, and it's one of the best works I've seen this year so yeah carnivalesque
0: or something or anarchic yes. kind of more influenced. and also
2: just very free and knowingly free and knowingly uh rejecting uh, a modernist school
1: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Is the show still on? No, it's not on ah. anymore,
2: unfortunately, <laughs> but there will be more, hopefully. Okay.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. That, that's that's Beaconsfield be- uh, Gallery in, uh, in London, which yes, is just opposite Tate Britain in Lambeth, yep. just so people know. Mm-hmm. So uh, run by Naomi Siddiffin and David Crawforth. Yes. <laughs> 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 They've done it for a long time. They need a name check. <laughs> <laughs> they deserve one. Um, okay, well, yeah. um, just, just to um, quote Colin... You write in your piece calling them today. We like to talk a great deal. We talk on Facebook and Twitter, at international conferences, and in self-published fanzines. The possibility that no one is listening makes for anxious broadcasters, and so paranoid that audiences cannot concentrate for more than a few seconds. News broadcasters opt for increasingly sensationalist hooks. Basically, you go, you give quite a. The, the context now is 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 very different to. Um, say as it was in the 60s and 70s in terms of the whole media you know the email websites films videos I mean it's it's very complicated and and you to just jump forward a bit you say finding a voice with such a miasmal polyphony is certainly not easy with the multiplication of expressive outlets you know it, it Max, is it, is it? This is a very different situation to the sixties and seventies. Yes. Uh, and and dealing with that, I mean, the, whether it be subjectively or <laughs> structurally, is, is is presumably what artists are having to try to do now.
2: Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, interesting. We talk about broadcasting on yes. the radio. Uh, that's why I like this program because it's certainly not sensationalist, and I hope the listener bears with <laughs> us for <laughs> the last five minutes of this kind of quite dense talk. Yeah. Um. Yes, I would like to say that uh, what I think uh, an interesting aspect, or you can also call it a problem today, is the digital image, uh, the the program of the digital image is so complicated today that artists find it difficult to deconstruct it. If you would like to Deconstruct the cinema I- the Hollywood cinema image of a sixteen millimeter or thirty five millimeter film in the '60s you could do it yeah. you just take your scissors and cut it up or you just put it you reprint it now it 's difficult to get a grip uh, to, to, to contaminate to play with to explore the cinematic image because it is digital. Um, And this is where people like the Wilson Twins, Jane and Lewis Wilson, British artists, a duo, or the British artist Isaac Julian, for example, uh, come onto the scene. Um, They really borrow from cinema, from the point of view of cinema, from the framing of cinema, from the beauty of cinema. Um, And while I find the work really interesting, I also wonder where can we intervene? Where can we subvert the digital... Paradigm.
0: You mean where can they do it if they wanted to?
2: Yes, they or, or, you know, I could do it. If if I was an artist, I would do it. I I do
1: wonder why it's necessary to subvert the digital paradigm, considering that the digital paradigm allows for more voices than the cinematic. You mean mean politically it's more open why, Why would you even need to do it? It's more of a case of having your voice heard and representing or talking about or discussing or involving yourself or involving your audience with political ideas or ideas of subjectivity various other ideas but um, it's not necessarily a case of subverting the medium. I don't think that's necessarily the most critically acute way of proceeding. Mm -hmm. No, so
0: you mean the tension on the medium is not really uh, as interesting as trying to use the medium to question other things? Yes. Be
2: yes, I think this is very much uh, the crux of the problem with digital media. We talk about the image itself and we talk about distribution. And I'm very excited about the distribution uh, possibilities of the digital image that yeah. we talk about. It's yeah. available to everyone. It's democratic if you like. Uh, you've got YouTube. You can really subvert certain systems just by playing with the distribution of the digital image. But yeah. I'm still interested in the voice. If you talk uh, about the voice, Colin, um, what kind of voice is this? Because it's always the same voice. If I show a certain frame in a certain way, as a face in a certain way, I would like, I would like it to have a different color, a different nuance, a different sound, just something different from the mainstream voice. Of course, you can distribute the voice in multiple forms. But I would start, like to start even earlier and question what is the voice. Do you Wh- see what I where's mean? Where's the
0: mainstream voice you refer to? Just an example. Um, you mean do you mean the newscaster?
2: A newscaster or, yeah. or a, a, a mainstream film? Sure, okay.
1: Sorry, yeah. simple question. Just
2: mm-hmm.
1: So you, you're arguing, I'm unclear <laughs> what, you yes, what you're arguing. Abstract. It's, <laughs> a, it's a nice <laughs> abstract, slightly poetic question, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I'm unsure how to pin it down.
2: Um the digital image imis- image consists of zeros and ones. Yeah. And you put them together and you create you create an image that represents reality if you like. Yeah. I would like to question that representation of reality. I would like to question why artists are using a close-up in their work, why they are using perspective in their work. Why not go and Deconstruct this optical paradigm, if you like, the optical rule or law. I know it's very d- I, no, I, I would
0: say that you know, t- t- as a, just as a, as a viewer of, of quite a lot of work that is made now, that it is surprisingly conservatively structured. Yes. And and surprisingly narrative. Yes. A lot of what I see, you know, in which is very you no know, like they watch too much telly and they either want to join it but they can't, but they use it as a kind of influence or. It's just they don't have ambitions to play about with how and where you film things, like yes. putting cameras up rivers. I don't know. It just, it, but that's my just a, a impression. Yeah, let's so put the zeros
2: where you're and ones together in a different way. In maybe a
1: way. this is what we're talking about with the archaic death grip of, <laughs> 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 of film. <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe.
2: Well,
1: look, guys, um,
0: we could probably talk on for hours. And um, <laughs> hopefully um, listeners will want to read your pieces in Art Monthly, which um, they can get at a discount. If they email subs at artmonthly.co.uk, they'll get 30% discount, which brings the price down to £30. So, For one year, that is. Um, but both of you, thank you so much for coming in thank and talking you about your I know it's difficult, and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank Goodbye, you. everyone.